Welcome to another exciting episode of The Tax Efficient Investor. Listen in as host Michael Johnston demystifies tax-efficient tactics to help you grow your wealth. We break down complex tax strategies and make them simple to understand and easy to implement. From HSAs to IRAs, 1031s, trusts, and more, we cover it all here on The Tax Efficient Investor. Welcome to the show. I'm Michael Johnston. Joining me today to talk about tax-efficient investing is Kelly Long. Kelly is a certified financial planner and a CPA. She is the founder of Financial Bliss with Kelly Long, a money coaching firm and podcast. Kelly, thanks for coming on today. Thanks so much for having me, Michael. I'm really excited to geek out about uh, underutilized strategy. Absolutely. We're a couple of nerds here going to talk about some, some nerdy uh, tax saving strategies that will save people money. So uh, I think yeah. they'll be excited to hear about it. So we're, we're going to dive pretty deep today, Kelly, into the mega backdoor Roth, which has an awesome name, by the way. I don't know who came <laughs> up with it, but I should hire them to do some some branding work for me. Um, but let's start at a high level. Give us the, the elevator pitch or kind of the executive summary of what we're going to be talking about today. Sure. So the mega door, the mega backdoor Roth. <laughs> <laughs> is a retirement saving strategy that basically exploits a lesser known rule that technically allows much larger contributions to a 401k than the well-known annual, what we call elective contribution limits mm -hmm. through what's called a very technical term after-tax contributions. Got it. So I think it's kind of always helpful to talk uh, before we get too into the weeds, and we're going to walk through how someone does this, but um, why is this a potentially valuable tax strategy? So I, I kind of like to think of this as like, well, if you're not doing this, what what's your alternative? Where's this money going if you're not going to do it in, in a mega backdoor Roth? So the most valuable thing is that it just allows people who have access to the tools necessary, because there are some kind of specific circumstances needed to put more money away in a tax advantaged way for retirement than they would just through your typical 401k and IRA or SEP IRA limits. Um, so generally, this is money that you would otherwise be investing in a taxable brokerage account. Got it. And that's suboptimal um, for a lot of reasons, one of which you're going to have like the tax drag each year. If you have dividends, those are going to be taxed. If you're doing a rebalance and you're having a capital gain, if you're selling for other reasons, you're going to have uh, capital gains taxes that you're going to owe in a taxable brokerage count. Um, and that might not sound like a lot, but you know, that, that tax drag can be, if it's a few basis points or even a, a percentage point, uh, especially for younger folks who have a long-term time horizon um, that, that can kind of add up. And then um, the brokerage account, it's, it's not great in retirement either. When you, you go to, to, to sell, to, to fund your retirement, um, whatever it is, you're going to pay capital gains taxes or, it's ultimately got to become cash if you want to use it. So you're going to pay uh, pay taxes there. So uh, yeah, brokerage accounts are, there's some flexibility. There's some good things about them, but they're kind of suboptimal um, for a lot of reasons. Um, okay, so so who, who can do this? And, and I guess equally important, like who, who should do this? <laughs> well, in my opinion, anybody who has the tools available should do this. Um, mm -hmm. And probably the biggest limitation would be cash flow. So uh, otherwise, if you have this, the very specific circumstances, which I'll list here in a second, then it makes so much sense if otherwise that money is just going to either languish in a savings account or just going into the market through taxable brokerage, because you're essentially doing the same strategy 
but without the tax consequences. So the first thing and probably the most, the biggest limitation is that you have to be eligible to contribute to a current 401k or 403b plan. And that plan has to have the following option. So it has to allow Roth contributions, which statistically is more and more common to see. So if you have a job with a 401k, most likely you are able to elect Roth contributions. But you also have to have what's called after-tax contributions available, which I'll define here in a second. Okay. And then in addition to that, you either have to have the ability to do what's called in-plan conversion. So the ability to take your pre-tax contributions or employer matching dollars and convert them to Roth within the 401k or 403b plan, or your plan highly unlikely has to allow you to take that money and roll it into a Roth IRA while you're still working. So all of that said, if you have all of those things, let's take a step back and let's talk about what those after-tax contributions are, because that's um, confusing in a lot of workplaces that I see. So prior to going out on my own and starting my coaching firm, I worked for a workplace financial wellness company. And part of that job was intimate knowledge of 25 or more larger employers 401k plans, which sounds really boring, but it was really fun to learn all the different ways we all kind of as a general population know that, you know, we can put up to $22,500 into a 401k unless you're over 50 and then you've got that catch up contribution. But there's so many little nuances. And sure. what I saw was, um, and internally companies refer to these plans in different ways, especially companies that happen to have these specific strategies available because usually their plans involved some other type of maybe cash pension plan in addition to the 401k. Um, But a lot of companies will call their Roth contributions after tax because Mm. in the employee's mind or in, you know, the way it comes out of your paycheck is after the taxes are assessed. But after tax contributions are actually a technical IRS term as well. And what's most important to know here is that there, we are all familiar with those kind of elective contribution limits but there's a larger limit that the IRS places on total contributions that would be yours as the employee and the company's contributions. And what the after-tax contributions does is allows you to kind of fill that bucket if there's any gap between what you can put in by IRS statute and what your employer is putting in through matching or profit sharing. And that pot of money has different tax treatment than either pre-tax or Roth. So it's more of a Hmm. hybrid, kind of like an after-tax or a non-deductible IRA contribution. So the funds go into the 401k or 403b, they're not a deduction from your income at the time made. That means when you withdraw them, those would be tax-free withdrawals, but the growth is only tax deferred. Mm -hmm. So... The total limit for 2023, by the way, for this is $66,000, unless you're 50 or older, and then you get to tack on that catch up. So it's, uh, what is it? 73,500. 73, yeah, 73,5, I think. Okay, so a lot of people are hearing this and they're saying, wait, 66,000? Yeah. I thought it was 22,500. Yeah, or 30,000 if you're 50. Yeah. Or or third, yeah, if you're over 50, you get an extra 7,500 catch up. but let's we'll we'll stick with the to keep it simple here. We'll stick with the under fifty example. So okay. you just said that the limit is sixty six thousand. I think a lot of people are hearing this and saying, "What is she talking about? It's twenty two thousand five hundred. <laughs> That's the most that I'm able to to, to put into um, to my four hundred one k. What's what's like the, the gap there? What's the delta? So that's what what the 
what we would call the after-tax bucket. And mm -hmm. so let, let's just use an example. So let's say you're yeah. making $200,000. Okay. And you're putting in your maximum. So you put in 22.5 and your employer has a 6% match, kind of the standard. Yeah. And so obviously if you're putting in 22.5, that's 6% or more. So your employer is going to put in their 6% of 200,000, which is only $12,000. So you're yeah. actually only putting in 34,500 between all sources into your IRS, but the IRS, according to the limits, IRS says, well, actually, like there's room, there's another $31,500 that's yeah. kind of being left on the table. Mm -hmm. And most companies recognize that like their employees, if they're putting the maximum in that, that's probably a big stretch, but in especially like consulting firm jobs or smaller businesses, uh, the employer has the ability to say, actually, no, if you want to, as the employee, like plug that gap, have at it, just know that it has different tax treatment. So where I've seen it is, you know, either when you log in to set your contribution limits, there's often, you know, pre-tax Roth or after-tax contributions. So you can actually like divide it up. Now, if you're not maxing out the 22.5, then this doesn't make sense. Right. Right. But, but if you're there, um, you can elect some of that to go into after tax. The, as you'll understand in a minute, the frustration or the the challenge can be is if you're doing you know regular paycheck contributions into after tax bucket, that can lead to some unintended and um, undesirable tax consequences that you could avoid. Mm -hmm. If, in the case of every plan that I saw that allowed these, usually at the end of the year the company will allow some type of true up or big contribution either through bonus or in one case you could write a personal check. <laughs> Who has okay. this anymore? Well, I do. So, um, and so because oftentimes, particularly if you have fluctuating income or bonus or changes yeah. in uh, compensation, you might not be, know exactly what your matching dollars are. So, if you want to get exactly to that sixty-six thousand, you're going to have to wait until after your last paycheck to know exactly what that gap is between your contributions, the employer match, and the total limit. Yeah. That's so why it's so rare because it's an administrative yeah. hassle. Yeah. Okay. So let's keep going with this example and kind of walk through step by step. So we'll use me as this this uh, hypothetical <laughs> under 50 employee. I've set aside my my 22,500 in my elective deferrals. My employer is uh, relatively generous. They've got a 6% match. So they've kicked in another $12,000. So I'm up to 34,500, which as you pointed out, I've still got another 31,500 to go before I hit this IRS limit of, of 66,000. By the way, Kelly, I think all these are all the numbers for 2023. They'll That's change right. each year. Yes. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. In general, they tend to change every year. Okay. Um, got it. So if, if you're, if you're watching this in, in 2024, the, the numbers may have, have gone up. Um, okay. So I've got this 31,500. So how do I how do I get the most bang for my buck here? Assuming that um, that that my company offers some of the options that that you went through, and we'll summarize those again at the end. Um, but, but what do I do here to make sure that I uh, I get this into my my Roth bucket? <laughs> so, however you get that additional thirty one thousand five hundred in there, um, obviously prior to December thirty first of twenty it would be twenty twenty three. If it's twenty twenty four, the numbers are going to be different because they always go up. Yep. 
then as soon as you see that money reflected, you log into your 401k or 403b and you see that money in the after-tax bucket, you want to go in and enter a request to convert that to the Roth. Mm-hmm. And ideally, so in some cases, some companies have um, allow employees to set different investment mixes according to the bucket. So you might choose more aggressive investments for your Roth money because you mm-hmm. know that money's never going to be taxed. And you might choose bonds for your pre-tax money if you're going to get really specific with your asset allocation. And so if if that's the case, then you would want to set your after-tax bucket if your intention is to do the mega backdoor Roth strategy to cash. Yeah. Because if there's even where I've seen problems where I've talked to people about this is like they've been putting money into after-tax for maybe years and that money has grown, which is cool. Yeah. If they do nothing, it's important. So I know um, I'm getting a little ahead of myself here, but I want to like state this because this is, there is a kind of a downside to doing this. Yeah. If you leave it in after tax, classified as after tax, one of the interesting things about it is you can withdraw that money from the 401k for any reason before you're 59 and a half. So one so of the things I- flexibility. Yes. And, and 401k money generally does not have a lot of flexibility. You know, once it's in there, it's like, you have to have a major IRS defined life event to make an early withdrawal. Whereas like IRAs, you can take that money out to build a roof. You're just going to pay penalties. 401k, you wouldn't be able to do that. But the mm-hmm. after-tax bucket, you can do that as long as it's classified as after-tax. And again, your contributions, just like a Roth IRA, wouldn't be taxable to pull them back out, but any growth would proportionately be penalized in taxes at early withdrawal. Um, but when you when you make that conversion to Roth, you're basically saying, I'm, I'm electing to treat this like 401k Roth money, which then subjects it to all of the early withdrawal exceptions as long as you're employed at that job. Got it. So you're you're getting a much more favorable tax treatment, which we'll get back to in just a minute. But I think it's a good point you make. There there is a downside here. You've got to have, and this is kind of your first point when I said, well, who who should do this? You kind of said, well, you've got to have the cash flow. You've got yes. to have uh, you've got to have patient capital. It's got to be able to sit um what is it age age 59 and a half um mm-hmm. or depending on your your age and your situation you could be tying this money up um for a long time so um, yes. it's got to be it's got to be patient capital yes so um, in some cases i see people who are maybe uh, stretching a little bit to maximize this they're like okay my mm-hmm. bonus is supposed to be 50k um and i was counting on some of that for whatever and uh but i'm going to stretch and i'm going to do that 31 5 um and i you know i just try to make it clear like you know that that money is you're basically saying see when I'm 60, right? Like, as long as you're okay with that, (laughs) if you do the strategy, um, if you, but if you wait on it, this is the other kind of downside or, or people who need to think twice about it from a cash flow perspective, if you wait and there's growth, then, and then you do the conversion, you can still do it. You'll just have a tax consequence in addition to, um, you know, just not having the deduction from your paycheck. So any growth would be taxed to you that you're as if it had been a regular Roth conversion. And so you need cash app, obviously to pay the taxes. Yeah. We never like those two words together, tax consequences. That's, I know, that's right? never, never good news. I, <laughs> um, I mean, I guess so, it means you made money, but. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, so going back to, to this example where I've got my, my 31,500 that I put in there, I've been able to do assume i've been able to do what you said which is i just leave it in cash 
I, I log in at maybe it's a day later, a couple of days later, I see that I'm able to convert that to Roth. A lot of times a Roth conversion will be taxable. But if I understand it correctly, this is a non-taxable event because it's after tax dollars. I've kind of already paid the pay the taxes on this. Is that right? That's correct. And so there are so um this is where I've gotten into internet arguments with strangers. <laughs> and it really depends um, on the plan sponsor and the, the administrator of the 401k and how they report things. But from a, a tax preparation perspective, sometimes tax preparers can mess this up because you'll get a, mm -hmm. a form from the 401k administrator saying that you like you did this and it was a, a taxable amount to be determined. So let's say you take that 31.5 and you convert it over, you'll get a 1099R saying you had a $31,500 possibly taxable transaction. And if your tax preparer doesn't know what that you were doing this, they're likely mm -hmm. to think this was a, just a regular old Roth conversion and they're gonna put that 31,500 on your tax return. So then you're gonna pay taxes on it twice, which completely wipes out the benefit of this. Right. Um, but then there is also the possibility that, um, and I'm not a tax preparer, so this is where I have to kind of like issue my little caveat. Yep. I'm not totally sure. Uh, that that the conversion could be proportional to your total balance. Got it. So kind right. of more like the when you're doing a uh, the account aggregation rules when you're doing a backdoor Roth. If you have pre-tax IRA assets, it's you know the cream in the coffee example yeah, where you can't separate out that one sixty five hundred dollar deposit. You have to actually do it as a percentage of your total. Uh, that's right. I think I think that's I've heard that called the pro rata rule. I don't know yes. what the official official term for it is, but you can't essentially you can't pick the dollars that you're going to convert <laughs> over um, and say, I just want to roll these over. Um, you've got to do effectively a, a portion of your entire portfolio. Um, OK, so we've we've kind of gotten through the end of this hypothetical example where you roll it over and now it's in a Roth account. And that's fantastic because. You know, you mentioned earlier this was after tax dollars, so um, you you wouldn't have had to pay pay taxes on withdrawal of that, but you would have had to pay taxes on the growth. And hopefully, you've got a long time until retirement, and hopefully, you're going to have a lot of uh, growth in your portfolio. Hopefully, uh, it, you know, the value goes up and up and up, and uh, the beauty of compounding returns kicks in. Um, and now in addition to, to having that contribution be tax-free, all of the, the growth of it is going to be tax-free as well. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. That's true. Um, I should also mention that if you are within five years of being 59 and a half, and this is your first time adding assets to Roth, there's that five-year rule for mm. qualified distributions. Typically, someone who's engaged in this strategy has, has been making Roth contributions for years anyway, but... Um, I think you know the 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 big headline here is if if you are making your contributions Roth and you do this after tax contribution and your employer now new part of the Secure Act Secure 2.0 also was the ability for the employers to let you elect their contributions to be Roth right and that's totally up to each company so you may or may not have that available um but there is a possibility that you could put $66,000 into Roth just through your 401k. So really doing the math, 72,500 if you're, Mac, you're doing a backdoor Roth IRA outside as well in one year. So that yeah. is where the mega part comes. And most yeah. of that money is going through the back door because it's more than kind of our traditional limits. Yeah, and um, you know, to make it even more mega, this is, this is 
per person, right? So if, right. if my wife and I could both do this and it can be done, it can be done each year, right? You can come That's back right. and do the exact same thing uh, next year. As long as I'm, I understand that this has been, it's been on, I guess I described it as being on the chopping block. It hasn't yes. been chopped, but it's kind of been talked about. Uh, is, is there potential that, that this goes away? Yeah. So the biggest risk to this is that the ability to do it in the future would go away if the law that keeps popping up in different budget proposals from the White House, eliminating or adding income limits for all Roth conversions ever goes through. So that would prevent future uh, uses of the strategy. Um, and then there's always that greater possibility because there's always that person who wants to remind me that, you know, the, any law could change that at some point in the future, Roth con uh, withdrawals could become taxable for certain people. And so those are the risks. Um, that second scenario seems it, like it might cause a riot at this point. <laughs> I do agree with you. I've, I've heard people mention that as a possibility. Um, and sure, I guess anything, <laughs> anything yeah. is possible. Like at, at some point, something's going to have to be done to either cut, cut spending or, or raise more money in tax dollars. I think that's clear. Uh, not a political statement, just kind of looking at the dollars and, and cents yes. of where we are. That would have to. My guess is that's pretty far down the down the list. But you know, it's a good point to make that it's it's within the realm of possibility. Probably crazier things have happened. I should um, also uh, point out, like a bigger strategy, and this is for younger folks who might be um, earlier in their career, who are maybe have graduated from undergrad, uh, work in an investment banking job, have are making decent, good money, but plan to go back to grad school or take a some type of career or earnings break. And in that case, we generally wouldn't recommend doing this strategy okay. or in really putting everything as, you know, do after tax, make those contributions, but maybe don't do the conversion until the year that you are underemployed or unemployed. Mm -hmm. So that not only, I mean, his, tax rates are historically low, regardless of what bracket you're in right now, but if you could even lower that to 12%, 10%, depending on how much it is, that could be an even greater tax saving strategy um, for people who are planning some type of earnings break in the meantime, as long as, and then of course, if there are those income limits, that would be another time that you might be able to take advantage of these strategies, even if Congress does implement Roth conversion income limits where you take a year where you're like, okay, I'm just not going to make that much money so I can convert a bunch of my money in Haroth yeah. this year. Yeah. So there are so still going to be some tax planning strategies, even if that law changes. Yeah, got it. So essentially, the first taxes when, you're, when your earnings are, when your, tax, when your marginal tax rate is high, and then if you're going to have a year where your marginal tax rate is low, maybe you're going back to school, maybe you're taking a sabbatical and you're going to bike across the country or something fun like that, um, then pay your taxes then when, when you're in a low marginal tax rate. Yeah. Um, so Kelly, I always like to ask, um, what are the mistakes that you, you see people make with this? I think you, you answered, you answered a couple of those, um, as far as, you know, make sure that you coordinate with your tax preparer and you're not double paying this and, and completely uh, destroying the, the benefit of what you're doing. Um, any other common mistakes that, that you see people make that, um, they should be aware of when thinking about doing this? I think it's mostly just, um, not thinking through the cash flow aspect in order yeah. to make the full contribution. So, um, they're, you know, it comes to end of year, it's time to make these contributions and their last paycheck isn't enough. And so just making sure that, um, 
you you're planning ahead for if it's thirty one thousand five hundred for a lot of people who have jobs are <laughs> yeah. not going to be a paycheck, right? Right. Um, it could be your bonus. And so just that's probably the biggest mistake besides the the accidentally waiting or doing those contributions throughout the year. I mean, of course, you could go in, depending on your plans, rules and do those conversions every two weeks, if you're paid every two weeks, but that's a hassle. So um, if you can do a lump sum, that would be limit the opportunity for error and the error being unintentionally paying taxes on growth of those funds. So right. Depend right. again, it's going to be pretty plan specific, but yeah. And I, I guess the other one you you mentioned that's kind of just worth repeating here is just understanding that cost of illiquidity. You're talking about tying your money up for uh, at least five years, possibly longer if if you're uh, if you're younger. So just making sure that you're in a position uh, where you're able to do that. There's, a, I think, a lot of people tend to kind of overlook the cost of of liquidity or the cost of illiquidity. I guess that there's value in. And having liquid cash that you can liquid assets that you can convert to cash without having to pay taxes or, or penalties or uh, I guess primarily the penalties in this case. Um, you mentioned that it, it varies so much by by plan here, and you gave us a great list of um, you know th there's a, a Roth option. Are there do they allow after tax contributions? Do they allow in service withdrawals and plan conversions? I'm guessing a lot of people are, are hearing this and they're saying, wow, I mean, I have no idea. Is is um, do you recommend they just they just reach out to their HR professional, their HR contact, and say, "Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Can you tell me does our 401k offer yeah. line by line?" Yeah, just if there's somebody in the company who's designated as the 401k or retirement benefits administrator, they're the one who's most likely going to know this. Mm -hmm. um, and then I should also point out because uh, I talked about. The downside being, you know, once you've converted those dollars and they become locked into 401k early withdrawal rules, once you've left that role, then you can roll your money into a Roth IRA and then mm. it becomes, again, your your capital, your principal contributions are withdrawable early. So for, for people who are on the fire path, you know, retiring, trying to retire early and packing money away in, in every way, they love the Roth savings bucket because they know they could get at their contributions early without penalty or taxes. And so this does enable that once you've left your role or the yep. company, the other um, most important thing then would just be you track your basis separately. Don't rely on your 401k administrator to, to track how much you put in and, and what mm -hmm. the growth is, especially from a Roth perspective. Um, but yes, to, to go back to your question, um, if you're an employee benefits person, if you work for a smaller company, they may not know, then the 401k uh, company themselves you know, could, should know. There should be a, a, a rep or a, a number to call, depending on who's administering the plan. Got it. Perfect. And we'll, we'll have a list in the show notes of the, these kind of criteria that, that you ran through. So if someone really wants to, they can just kind of uh, copy and paste that and, and, yes. and fire it off here. Um, Kelly, this has been super informative. Is there, is there anything I haven't asked about the, the mega backdoor Roth that, that you think people should, should know about or any closing um, I, thoughts? I think we've covered pretty much all of the nuances. I would say um, I did write an article, article about this in the journal of accountancy as well, mm -hmm. that lays this out as well. That might be just as simple to reference um, for the criteria. And I would say um, if your plan has after-tax contributions, but does not allow in-plan conversions, that just means you may have to wait to do the 
the conversion until you've left the company. And so you'd have, obviously your career plans would come into play there, but that would be, um, and of course there would be tax consequences because I wouldn't necessarily not invest the money in order to not have it grow for some distant date to convert tax-free, but that is, um, it's still worth considering at least as an extra bucket to put away for tax deferred, at least savings and investing. Great point. And I'm glad you mentioned that article. It's a great article that goes through um, all of this in detail as well. We'll make sure that that is in the show notes as well. Uh, Kelly, last question for you. For folks who want to reach out to you, learn more about you, uh, where can they find you? Well, thanks for asking. Um, I'm all over Instagram at Financial Bliss Coach um, or my website's financialblisscoach.com. And then I have a solo podcast where I talk about um, money psychology. And that's called Financial Bliss with Kelly Long. So that's on all the major platforms if anybody wants to hear about money mindset stuff. Yeah, that's great. That is a fascinating topic. It's a great podcast. Everyone should check it out. Uh, Kelly, thanks so much. This has been incredibly informative and and really helpful. And I think uh, you probably made some money for our listeners today. (laughs) My pleasure, Michael. Thanks for having me. Thanks. That's it for today's show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify to help spread the word to other investors. And we'll be back soon with another episode.